Jennifer Anderson is a mom, wife, registered dietitian, and creator behind the brand Kids Eat in Color. When Jennifer was a new mom, she learned that feeding kids is sometimes tricky. Her first kid fell off the growth chart, and she learned how much effort can go into feeding a child. She's passionate about teaching parents that they're doing a great job regardless of whether their kids eat their veggies or whatever food today. Jennifer has a master's of science in public health in international health and human nutrition from Johns Hopkins School of Public Health, and she completed her dietetics coursework through the University of Northern Colorado and organized her own dietetic internship focusing in policy and organizational management in the Washington, D.C. metro area through the University of Northern Colorado. Today, Jennifer shares with me her popular advice to parents on helping kids eat balanced meals, try new foods, how to offer dessert, how to grocery shop for healthy foods on a limited budget, and what your kids actually really do need to eat every day to thrive. All right, today I have Jennifer Anderson from Kids Eat in Color, and I am so thrilled to have her today. So many of her posts have helped me as a mom, and I've shown them to my husband, Neil, for our little kids. We have four kids, so we're constantly dealing with all of the things that you talk about on your account, and I'm just so excited that you're here. So say hi, Jennifer. Thank you so much for letting me be here. I'm so happy. Me too. So tell me what got you interested in this whole idea of, you know, teaching people about healthy eating habits for their kids and teaching them about introducing new foods and all the wonderful things that you do. Sure. So the, the really the beginning was my own challenge with feeding my son. So he fed great as an infant. And then as soon as he started to eat solid foods, he started to fall off the growth chart in terms of weight growth. And that just really started me on the path of understanding the importance of feeding, how we feed our kids, what we feed our kids. And at some point when he was about three, I thought to myself, you know, I can't be the only mom having a hard time with this. No. <laughs> and it turns out I wasn't. And Enter every mom. <laughs> Right. Yes. And that's, that's where I started the Instagram account and have really refined things from there. I love it. And you have an educational background too. And, um, are, tell me about that. Your when I was looking at your, um, the acronyms that we call them, I was like, yeah, yeah. Whatever. yeah, yeah. Tell me what those are. Yeah. So I have a master's of science in public health okay. and that's just understanding a large scale, like how do we help populations of people mm -hmm. do better, whether that's blood pressure or eating better or um, using less drugs or whatever. Totally. And then also a registered dietitian nutritionist, which is really my focus is on food and understanding what food does in our body and how to help families eat better. Okay. That's so awesome. So really, because Neil will always ask me when I'll find these like cute or fun Instagram accounts, his first question is, well, do they just know how to take a good picture? Or do they really know what they're talking about? So I love that you have both. You have these beautiful photos that you show people and you teach people, but you also really know what you're talking about too. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. so cool. So let's just start at the beginning with first foods. Cause I remember as a first time mom, seven and a half years ago, almost, let's see, it'll be almost eight years 
since my first baby was born and reading all the books and being like, okay, I need to like puree everything myself and all organic, homemade, whatever. And, you know, now we're on our fourth kid and I'm like, Mm, maybe one weekend I'll have some time to make you some homemade baby food, but we'll see. So yeah, um, <laughs> you'll be lucky if you get it. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about like the first time mom, first time eating, what's your advice with like first foods that you introduce babies to and how and which foods and all of that. Mm-hmm. So I think the most important thing is not the food. And I okay. realized that you would, you would think, well, that doesn't make any sense. You're a dietitian. Food is so important. And you know what? The food The food is so important, but how you feed your child is more important. Okay. So when, from a nutrition standpoint, when we're talking about first foods for babies, I always go with a high iron food. So that could Mm. be pureed meats. It could be be eggs. It could be, if you're doing baby led weaning, it could be, uh, you know, large chunks of meat actually that they can kind of suck the juices out of. And the reason for that is we want that iron because that's really their main reason for eating food at say six months. That, okay. and, and also learning to feed themselves. So that is touching foods. Mm-hmm. That's getting messy. That's getting food all over their face. The reason that we like to see babies getting messy and feeling different kinds of foods, purees and finger foods and things like that is so that they can desensitize their sensory system. Okay. Food. Okay. That's so important for preventing picky eating. Okay. That's really interesting. So if you were helping a first time mom, you, you would tell them like, explain to me the like large chunks of meat. Cause that scares me as far as yeah, like a baby right. sticking that in their mouth. What does that look like? Yeah. So you look at, okay, let's say you gave your baby a chicken liver as an infant. They don't really know how to chew yet. Yeah. They're six months old. What they're going to do is they're going to kind of put it up to their mouth and they're going to suck on it a little bit. They okay. don't really know how to chew. Now, if you're doing baby led weaning, generally the recommendation is like slivers of, as they get a little older, as they, um, a sliver about the size of your pinky finger. And I'm actually not an advocate of either baby led weaning or puree feeding, because I think the most important thing is you as a parent deciding that you're in charge of when you feed your baby solid food, what they eat and where they eat it. And the baby is in charge of whether they eat it and how much. And those two things together will improve your child's feeding for the lifetime of your child as long as you can keep up with it. And it's much more important than whether you're giving them chunks of food or giving them pureed food. Really interesting. Well, because I feel like especially as a first-time mom, I was so worried about the Mm -hmm. quote-unquote doing it right. Like, okay, what do I, you know, what's the very best thing? And I had read some really crazy things like, oh, if you feed your kid rice cereal, then they'll never want to touch vegetables again. Like if that's, (laughs) if that's their first taste of real food or if, you know what I mean? I had read Mm -hmm. some things that were just like, oh my gosh, my head's spinning. Well, do I do this? Well, do I do that? It's so confusing. And -hmm. everybody has their book out there and like what the right way is and what the best way is. And like, honestly, I feel like it's unfair. It's unfair to us real people Mm -hmm. who are trying to exist in the real world, not in your made up world where you, I don't know, you have a full-time cook and they make gourmet baby food for their baby. (laughs) Like I don't live in that world. Yeah. So sure. If you want to make gourmet baby food for your baby, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not... That's not the only option. The other option is, you know, I actually did use some rice cereal. And now I think oat cereal is probably a better option, like fortified oat cereal, if you want to go the cereal route. Okay. 
one thing that we do know is that high iron foods, first thing, are really important. And if you're making those yourself, or if you're going baby led weaning, or if you're buying it in a jar, it's fine as long as they're getting foods that have iron in them. Okay. And But what's most important is that you realize, while you may have fed your baby quite frequently, and maybe you fed your baby when they showed signs of hunger, right? Your mm-hmm. infant, you're feeding, you're breastfeeding yep. them or formula feeding them. When you move to a solid foods, we need to transition to a totally different way of feeding. And that is, I'm the parent, I'm in charge of when food is available, mm-hmm. and I'm, we're going to have a meal and snack routine. You could call it a schedule. You could call it a routine. I don't really care what you call it. As long as you're providing consistent access to food for your child throughout the day and they know when it's coming and they're not in charge of it. Okay. So that leads me to a next great question, which is I've had kids who eat every time I put food in front of them, but it's really stressful when you have a kid who doesn't. And it's like... Mm Oh, what do I do now? Are you smart mm-hmm. enough to manipulate me? You're two years old. Like, do you just not like this food? Now you want something else. You're waiting for me to make you new food. Do I, am I a terrible parent if I don't want to make you a different meal every time? Or you know what right. I mean? I've, I've been uh, through that with um, a couple of our kids where it's like, and, and my pediatrician's advice was as long as you're putting food in front of them three times a day, they'll eat when they're hungry. And when they're not, it's okay. Yeah. And you have a great pediatrician. Um, A lot of parents are so scared. They're like you described, you're worried. Is my kid going to be okay? Are they going to stop growing? Are they going to starve to death? Um, Those, these are real fears. And I don't think we should make light of them. Like they fill us up and we, we want to make sure our kids are safe and they're Mm well-fed. What we don't realize is often is that when kids are infants, they're growing very fast they triple their size. I mean, can you imagine how much energy we would have to eat in a year to triple our size? We would have to eat an enormous amount of food, right? Yeah. But toddlers, they grow like a couple inches. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) It's not comparable, right? Yeah. They don't need that much energy in comparison. So when our kids go from eating a lot, we just assume, oh, this is how much my child eats. But what we don't realize is they're eating how much they need. And we, as parents, focus on the amount of food. But what your child is doing is they're focusing on listening to their body. Mm -hmm. So we, we don't realize what we're seeing, what we're, what we're, what we think we're seeing is the amount, but what we're really seeing is the ability to listen. Okay. So when the amount changes, we freak out. But what we don't realize is they're listening and they're doing Mm -hmm. a good job listening and we need to stay out of the way. They need to listen and we need to provide the options. So if your toddler comes to the table, it's like, eh, I don't like that. Well, that's fine. They don't have to like it, but that's the end of it. Yeah. (laughs) You can say, okay, we'll have lunch at lunchtime. You don't have to eat snack. And then they have lunch and then they're more hungry, right? And maybe they threw a tantrum in between and maybe it was uncomfortable. I'm not going to try to sugarcoat this and say it's going to be like, oh, they're going to be happily hungry because they didn't choose to eat snack. No, I mean, they're going to be toddlers, right? Yeah. But they're going to come to the meal and they're going to eat better at that next meal or that next snack. They're going to know, well, my mom is in charge or my dad is in charge of what's served in this house and when it's served. Yeah. And really, I'm in charge of my body. Did I eat it? Did I eat how much I wanted? And that's okay. Okay. I love that advice. It's super helpful. Um, okay. So, but you're so good at teaching people in your account about 
like introducing new foods or getting them to eat more than because, gosh, it's hard to not get into that rut of, okay, you like mac and cheese. It works like I guess we'll just do this for every meal. I mean, especially so I just had a newborn and then I was really, really struggling with postpartum depression. It's getting better. But in we were in survival mode there with COVID <clears throat> and end of pregnancy, beginning of newborn life. And I woke up one day and was like, you guys are eating mac and cheese way too much because it was just kind of survival mode. But I but I don't want them to only eat that, you know, but sure. it's hard when that's like a, well, I know you're going to eat it. So talk to me about, you know, your advice and what you teach people on how to get kids to eat more than just like a couple of comfort foods. Sure. So comfort foods are important. And like you described, like your life situation of survival mode, the most important thing is that they have full bellies, right? Okay. That's the most important thing. And if we've gone through a period of survival, that is okay. And okay. And and then one day you come out of it and you're like, yeah, I don't think I want me or my kids eating as much mac and cheese. So yeah. that's a great time to introduce more foods. Now, if you have a child who's only eating four foods, it's going to be more complicated because they always need to be able to have a comfort food with them uh, available at a meal or a snack. So when we have comfort foods, we want to be able to provide foods that are safe for our kids because mm -hmm. every person in a family has a right to come to a table and feel like they can fill up on something that's there. Yeah. That is fair. That's kind. And that's how I want my kids to feel because their feelings actually play a large role in whether they can try new foods or not. Oh, okay. If, if a child feels anxious, disgusted, suspicious, or any of these things, they are not going to want to try a new food. Mm -hmm. And these are the feelings that picky eaters have. Like imagine the most disgusting food that you can think of canned tuna that. fish. Yeah. Okay. Like you <laughs> look me. at that and you're like, oh my gosh, I, I can't smell it. I can't yeah. touch it. I can't nope. come near it. Nothing. It's not for me. That feeling of like, oh, maybe I'm going to throw up. That is what picky eaters come to the table with. Oh, that's why there always has to be a safe food for them because okay. they should be able to look around and see, okay, at least I can eat bread and I could eat a whole loaf of bread if I want. And if that's what my body needs, but I have a safe food. Okay. I, at the same time, we don't want to leave kids there, nor do we want to eat a whole loaf of bread every night for dinner, right? Right. So instead, we provide varieties of meals. We provide our meals. We provide the family meals so that everyone is given the same options, but the picky eater is allowed to eat whatever they want. And mm -hmm. if that's only bread, then that's fine. Um, but providing the family meals and providing routine over and over. So, okay. Uh, every two or three weeks, homemade burgers come around and there's lettuce and tomato and cabbage. And I don't know, whatever you like to put on your burger and that's all there. And they see that meal every three weeks for years. And because of that, at some point they're like, oh, you know, I'm not that afraid of that anymore because I've seen it every three weeks for the past three years. <laughs> and next thing you know, they're like, oh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll try it. There's so many stories of families who have just exposed their kids to things over and over, steadily but surely, and next thing you know, boom, they're trying a new food. Yeah. Gosh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I have I have one daughter who it's funny. I'm like, are you are you going to be a vegetarian cuz she just kind of really doesn't like meat and mm -hmm. she's more of a picky eater, but I do notice that as I as we just keep being consistent about certain things, she'll kind of warm up to things slowly. So mm -hmm. 
That's really good advice. Um, okay, I really want to ask you about snacking because sure. sometimes I this particular daughter that I just brought up, she doesn't want to sit down and eat a full meal. She wants to snack all day long. And mm-hmm. she she has figured out sometimes I feel like where she can kind of snack on the things she wants to in the afternoon. And then if she doesn't like dinner, she can skip it. But then she wants to say, I'm hungry and have a snack after. And so I don't want to deprive her of food, but I'm also like, you can't just eat like goldfish and junk. I know that's not good for you. So talk to me about like snacking in a, like, I want to strike that balance where I'm giving my kids food when they're hungry, but I'm not enabling them to eat goldfish for every meal, you know? Sure, Sure. exactly. And that's a super common question. So picky eaters are notorious for not wanting to eat. Kids who tend to eat too little are notorious for not wanting to eat um, at meals. And Mm -hmm. that's that's fine. That's their choice, but we're not going to change our structure. So as, as parents, it's our job to provide the structure for our children and to say, look, our family does three meals and two snacks a day. And that's that you can eat, you know, every day you're going to have these five eating opportunities. And, you know, our family has six. We also have a bedtime snack. And as far as bedtime snacks goes, I just recommend you either have them or you do not have them. Okay. It's not this like, oh, you, I didn't eat my dinner and now I want to snack. No, that's like we either have them or we don't. Now, in my family, we always have them because one of my kids will always wake up in the middle of the night hungry. Okay. It's just how his body works. He yeah. can't make it from dinner to breakfast. Okay. So, and that's my one of my criteria. If you have a child who has some growth issue or is every single time waking up in the middle of the night hungry, then you know they need a bedtime snack. And then of course you have to offer it to all the kids because, you know. (laughs) Can't be like, you need a snack, but you don't. Yeah, Yeah, right. That doesn't work. So um, yeah. So if they come to dinner and they say, oh, I don't want my chicken and broccoli and rice and rice was their safe food and they're allowed to eat as much as they want. That's fine. Some kids are not that hungry at dinner time. It's fine. And we need to be careful in our minds. You know, there's this long-term narrative of people sending their kids to bed hungry mm-hmm. as a punishment. Yeah. That's different. That is damaging. Right. I'm never, ever recommending, recommend using food as a punishment totally. or a reward for any yeah. reason. So that is not what we're doing when as the parents, we hold a loving firm boundary around meals and we say, this is when our family eats meals and you were providing, you know, five or six or four, you know, whatever your kids need, whatever works for your family. We provide these meals, we provide these sit down, nutritious snacks, Mm -hmm. and then it's your choice whether to eat and how much. That is a loving environment that's reliable, it's consistent, it's secure, it's focused on the health of our kids emotionally and physically. Whereas like sending our kids to bed hungry, that's a totally different thing. We're not touching that. That's not what we're doing here. We're just holding our boundary firm. Okay. I love that because sometimes too, my kids want to do the like, uh, I don't like the look of that dinner. I want mac and cheese instead. (laughs) And so what's your advice? And that's when you say, hey, I am the mom here and I do not have to make you a second meal. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Have some respect for yourself as the parent and be like, no, I don't have to get up and make a meal. Now, it is my job to think as I'm making the meal, is there a food here that my kids are going to feel comfortable with? 
And if there's not, and you want to throw on mac and cheese on the side, go ahead, throw on a loaf of bread, like whatever you want to do is fine. But there has to be something there that they can fill up on because otherwise you add this element of insecurity to the meal, which really degrades all progress toward ending picky eating. Okay. Okay. That's really good advice. I want to ask about dessert now, because you said just a second ago, don't use food as a punishment or a reward. And I was reading one of your posts recently and I was telling my husband, oh, we're doing this all wrong. And it was, you were talking about dessert because I've for years, and I've heard things here and there about like, don't use dessert as a reward, but I just like, that's how I grew up was if you eat all your food, you get dessert. And if you don't, then that's fine. You don't have to finish your food, but you're also not going to get ice cream instead of dinner. Basically in my mind was always kind of how I've done it. And we, and we don't do dessert every night. It's just kind of like a random thing, Mm -hmm. but I loved what you said in your post about don't make a big deal. And so anyway, I'll let you explain it. You'll explain it much better than me trying to remember exactly how you said it in your post. Sure. So what happens is when we serve dessert Mm -hmm. after the meal and we say, you have to do this to get dessert, we put dessert up here on a pedestal. We say, oh, "Oh, dessert is so great. It's so great. We have these special words for it. We call it special. We say, aren't you so lucky? Be like, make this big deal out of it. Mm -hmm. We put it on a pedestal. And what research shows is when there's food on a pedestal, it makes the other foods taste worse. Like less, right? So every single time we say, eat your broccoli to get ice cream, we kids hear ice cream is good. Broccoli is bad. And I must be rewarded to eat my broccoli. That's exactly what we don't want. That's exactly what we don't want. Instead, what we want is them to think, oh, I like broccoli. It's delicious. I also like ice cream. And honestly, like that's where I'm at. I love broccoli. I Sometimes I feel like I could live on broccoli. Also, I could also live on potato chips, right? (laughs) Both of those foods have a very important role in my life, but I'm not rewarding myself with potato chips every time I eat my broccoli because that then messes up my body and my psychology, right? Because then I'm not able to listen to my body. So kids will overeat to get dessert. Kids Mm. will... Um, eat past fullness, they'll ignore their body cues, they'll eat things that disgust them, which then further make meals less enjoyable, less comfortable, less safe, and all these things further picky eating. So the fastest way that I've ever seen possible to get that ice cream off of the pedestal and to just make it a food is to serve a small amount on the plate next to dinner. Okay. That's right there. That's right there, two tablespoons of ice cream in a little, I mean, put it in a tiny little cup so it looks like more, you know. <laughs> okay. And everybody gets a child-sized portion. It's it's not enough for them to fill up on, although they may choose to only eat that and then eat nothing else. And that's, again, that's their choice, but there's nothing coming later. And next thing you know, the kid is eating their dinner and leaving the ice cream or they're, or they're eating the ice cream, but then they're also eating all their dinner and it takes all the drama out. The drama just kind of like seeps out the bottom of the table because what are you going to fight over? Like it's all there. And the parents like, well, you can eat whatever you want, whenever you want it. And as much as you want, except for the dessert, when it's served with the meal, I recommend a child-sized portion and no more. And you know what? They may throw a fit. 
because if desserts been on this pedestal, then they're like, oh my gosh, you're limiting this. Yes. But instead you can say, you know, we're not going to have any more today, but we are going to have more tomorrow for dinner. Okay. And you're welcome to have some bread. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that, I mean, that's another good question as far as like when we do, when I do make treats with my girls, it's like hard for, and I understand when you're just a little kid and something tastes so good and you want five cookies, not just Mm -hmm. one. And that's always a little bit of a struggle with us. So how do you teach kids in, in a healthy way, I guess, like, you know, psychology wise and, and mentally to like, I don't know, self-regulate. I don't even know that that's a thing with children with a sweet thing. Here's the thing with two-year-olds. They are the absolute best self-regulators. They really are. If you go to a birthday party, what, what do you see after cake time? You walk around and you see a whole bunch of pieces of cake sitting there and the parents are like, oh my gosh, look at all this wasted cake. But what they're really seeing is kids being like, oh, I had two bites of my cake and then I was done because I wanted to go play. And honestly, this cake is really sweet. So instead of making a big deal, we can serve small portions. Uh, Like let's say you want to have milk and cookies for a snack or you make cookies and you're like, this is going to be our snack for today. Mm -hmm. You could put a, everybody gets a milk and a cookie and then they can ask for another one. Would you like another milk? You know, they may say, can I have another cookie? Sure. Here you go. They may ask for another one. Sure. We actually do unlimited when I serve, let's say I serve ice cream for a snack. Mm-hmm. We do unlimited ice cream. They can eat as much as they want. And more often than not, they eat a very small amount, like so much less than I would ever anticipate. But it takes a while because initially, if it's been put on a pedestal and they've been feeling restricted, they're going to go crazy. They're going to eat, they're going to eat more cookies than you ever thought imaginable. And they may do that for several months. And you may be thinking, that lady on the internet, she was nutcase. I can't believe you listened to her. But if you stick with it over the over that hump mm-hmm. of getting over that feeling of restricted, then suddenly you come to a new place where they're like, gosh, I can eat as many cookies as I want every single time. I actually don't want to eat any more cookies right now. Okay. And that is a point that people come to where they're like, oh, you know, I'm full of cookies. Yeah, this is all so interesting to me because I'm like, there's no way even my two-year-old Mm-hmm. When we, and it's probably because I don't put dessert in front of them a whole lot, but we made cupcakes for her birthday. And mm-hmm. I was like, she ate the one, she downed the first one and mm-hmm. then she wanted more. She did the, she does the sign language more. Huh? And so I gave her a second one, thought, okay, it's your birthday. You can have two. And she downed that one too. And then started doing more. And I was like, you don't need three cupcakes. You're good. Um, and right, I feel but what, like, what she probably heard was like, oh, I can't have more of that food. That's interesting. And maybe next time she's like, oh, there must be something special there. Maybe, I mean, it could have been that she was really hungry as well, you know, and that was the food that was available. She's a big eater. So that, I mean, that definitely Mm -hmm. could have been because it was like an hour or so after dinner. But, um, but yeah, it's probably that I'm not 
I so so I guess here now I'm questioning myself like is it because I'm not offering dessert very often that my girls I mean they really they get so excited that they mm-hmm. I feel like they would just go nuts if I let yeah. them. You know, I mean we do so we do dessert like uh, we do dessert with dinner anywhere from 0 to 3 times a week and it really varies on what we have and all that any time that we have something that could easily go along with dinner i just try to add it in one it's easier on their blood sugar and you're going to end up with less of like a blood sugar crash okay. and also it just makes it more of a social thing we can all enjoy this together but then we also probably about once a week have ice cream after dinner and they eat as much as they want and yeah they get excited but like they still will leave a a half finished dish of ice cream sometimes and sometimes they'll eat three bowls I mean it really really varies and and then occasionally we will have like uh, like a sweeter snack um, maybe like once a week so you know it's hard to find the exact balance and I know the hardest point is initially when your kid is obsessed with treats your biggest fear is that they're going to eat too much sugar Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they do <laughs> because it's been restricted. And they're like, oh my gosh, ah, like I can eat as much as I want. I'm so excited. And yeah. and then, and so you see that and you're like, oh my gosh, now I have a sugar freak. Like my kid yeah. is like, they're freaking out. They're, they don't have any self-regulation. We like jump to, I don't know, whatever our worst case scenario is about our child eating sugar. But the reality is, is often... If we just continue with like, okay, three days in a row, I served everybody five M&Ms on their plate. Three days in a row. Then I spaced it out and I went to like, I gave it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then I did it Friday and then I did it Sunday and then I did it Wednesday. That experiment of chocolate chips or M&Ms can be really life-changing for a lot of parents when they realize that continued exposure of that same like treat food that their kid is obsessed with actually diminishes over time. Okay. I'm going to have to try that for sure with my girls. So I want to talk about your meal plan because I have loved that. And it really helped me what I brought up just a minute ago about the mac and cheese. Mm -hmm. It helped me get out of that rut because I swear sometimes it's not even dinner because I feel like I grew up with a mom that made homemade dinners all the time. I enjoy cooking. It's not super challenging for me to put together, you know, a healthy meal that has good healthy sides and a good protein and whatever. But Lunch. Lunch kills me. Mm -hmm. Middle of the day, it's busy. There's stuff going on. And I don't want to have to be like a short order cook for everybody and their different lunch needs. And, well, I want this. Well, I want that. And it's like, (laughs) I just don't have time for all of this or the energy for it. Or I don't want to clean up the mess from all of it. So, um, especially the breakfast and the lunch and your meal plan has been super helpful. So, um, talk to me about like getting through that lunchtime, some of your uh, tips that you give parents and, and all of that. Yeah, obviously having a, it is so challenging. And I feel like, you know, the quarantine, you know, Corona, COVID, whatever you want to call it situation has just made everything much more complicated because totally. now you're just on the hook, like all the time. You're Everyone's there at home. And, yeah. I mean, it's crazy, right? <laughs> so it's a, it's a really big challenge. And I, I mean, we've relied on the meal plan so heavily. In fact, my husband, so my husband uh, and I usually work full time mm-hmm. and our kids are usually in school and then they come home and then we do a dinner together. Yep. But 
you know, were packing lunches and I was packing most of the lunches. And honestly, you know, in between starting my own, you know, movement and doing all this stuff and my husband working, like trying to even think of like, what am I going to make for lunch? Like that is too big of a ask. Like I don't have that mental space for that every day so it's I, like I, performing brain yeah. surgery yeah oh it's crazy <laughs> and I mean and then you got to keep track of like all the things like I'm sure you know exactly where all your four kids shoes are right now you know where where they are and what they're doing and who's who's supposed to be eating what I mean you know how it goes it's just like there's so much in your brain yeah and yeah. I thought you know I gotta I gotta simplify this for myself and I made that meal plan for myself because I thought, you know, I, I don't have, I was working full-time and working full-time for myself, trying to leave my job when mm-hmm. I created that. And I was like, I don't have any mental capacity for what are we going to make for dinner or lunch or breakfast. So I made that meal plan and it just takes the guesswork out of it. It's like, no, you don't have to follow it perfectly. We don't even quote, I don't know. I don't even know what quote following it perfectly would be, but you know, a lot of people use it for maybe like 80 to 90% of their meals because mm-hmm. it's like really simple and basic and it's all written out. You can just like, okay, I don't know what to make for lunch. Okay. It says make a quesadilla and put this carrot in there and blah, we're done. And it helps us remember to do vegetable exposures when we're busy because it's written there. We didn't have to think of it, right? Yeah. It's just there. And if we have it and it's working out, we throw it in. And if it's not, we leave it out and it's no big deal. And I've seen my husband now. So he actually went and bought the meal plan without me knowing it. I I happened to see this transaction. I was like, huh, this, this guy, Paul Anderson bought it. That's that's, that's my husband's name. Turns out it was my husband. <laughs> he wanted the full experience. And next thing I know, he's like sitting there with a shopping list and planning out the menus. Mm-hmm. And I watched it kind of like as an outsider because he was like, I want to help more since I'm home all the time. I was like, okay. That's awesome. And even as someone who had never been in charge of the meal planning, I'd never been in charge of making lunches or anything like that because he was a PhD student before and just didn't have the time. So I did all that. Mm-hmm. Now he's like, okay, I'm not a PhD student anymore and I'm ready to ready to do something. I didn't have to tell him anything, which was amazing, right? That's so he so went nice. from never having done a meal plan for the family for a week, mm-hmm. never having like shopped for the family for a week that I can ever remember. And he did it all using this meal plan. So he was able to say, okay, Let's just do that. And then he like makes the lunches for the kids every day because it's, it's easier, right? So I think a lot of it is, you know, whether you get this meal plan or make your own, it's about having a very detailed plan and sticking with it as best you can, you know? Yeah. And not the stress of daily going, oh shoot, what's for lunch? Oh, Oh, great. Now we got to, you know, pull pull out all the stops to get everybody happy here for lunchtime or. Oh my gosh. It's so hard. (laughs) And I even, I really enjoyed too with, um, your dinner and like you're talking about with incorporating vegetables and, um, and introducing new things. Hopefully it's okay for me to say this. I, mm-hmm. it, it's not like too much of a secret. One of your recipes, fine. <laughs> but we did, my kids are always asking for butter noodles because they love that. Like just, you know, mm-hmm. the simple, like boil some noodles, put a little bit of butter and a little bit of cheese on it. And then one of your recipes, it was like, throw some peas in there. And I was like, oh, my kids like peas. So this should be easy. And I did. And they loved it. 
They like oh thought it was so right. fun that it was a new twist on like the butter noodles that they love, but it was also getting them to eat a vegetable. So um, just some, there are some really great ideas in there that I've really enjoyed and it's helped our family a lot. So we'll for sure link to that in the show notes too. Um, okay. I want to ask you, what are some of the most frequently asked questions that you get on your account from parents that are struggling that, that you feel like just a lot of people ask you over and over? Yeah. Well, aside from the dessert, which is a huge one, one of the biggest ones is toddlers throwing food. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> it's such a pain. Yes. Um, and so I have a whole blog article actually on my website that is the like ultimate guide to ending toddler food throwing that gives all sorts of ideas because of course they all throw food for different reasons mm-hmm. and holding that boundary that like, Hey, you know, it's not okay to throw food, but also we don't want to give it extra attention and we don't want to um, do it. So it goes over a lot of reasons that toddlers do throw food and what you can do to stop it, like making sure they have a chair that's supportive and having them throw some stuff before the meal. Because if you have a kid, oh my gosh, my first kid threw food, but my second kid threw everything. <laughs> he, and he loves to throw. It's just his thing. He still loves to throw when he's five. Yeah. We lost so many dishes to him. <laughs> oh, we don't even give our, our current two-year-old. I typically don't even give her a dish to throw because that's the first thing that's going to go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they just think it's so amazing to do that thing, right? So yes. if you can have them throw before the meal, that's like a, a really big one. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, I need yeah. To try that. And then, you know, another really common question I'm asked is how do I keep my kid from coming back to me 10 minutes after a snack asking for another snack? Oh my gosh. Yes. And I think the biggest reason that kids are coming back is because they're still hungry. Mm-hmm. And here's why. It's because we think, we've been told by the food industry that snack food is goldfish crackers or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. But if that doesn't have any fat or protein, and both of those things are what keep kids full for more than 10 minutes. So instead of just serving goldfish, it needs to be goldfish and a cheese stick. It needs to be goldfish dipped in peanut butter. It needs to be apples and peanut butter and goldfish. It needs to be something that gives them fat and protein so that they can actually make it to the next meal or snack. Like little snacks on the go, little handouts, it's not going to do it. Instead, we need to make them sit down for 10 minutes. We need to give them a balanced snack. I'm really big on that with my seven-year-old who's now starting to sometimes choose his own snacks. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, you can choose your own snack, but it has to be a balanced snack. And what that means is it's got to have protein, and it's got to have a fruit or vegetable and it's got to have something with energy. Okay. And of course, energy is like the crackers or or it could be fruit too, all these things. But you got to have something with protein and you got to have a fruit or a vegetable in there. And he's really embracing it. Now he's like, sometimes I'll provide a snack that isn't balanced. And he'll look at me and he's like, mommy, that's not a balanced snack. Where's my protein? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm like, okay. You're right. I'll get on that. Um, but it's good. It's good to give them those skills to kind of know that. And But first, it's good to internalize it on your own. Yeah. And come up with those snacks. And Real Easy Weekdays actually has, you know, a whole bunch of balanced snack ideas that you can incorporate if you're really hurting for ideas. Totally. And that was something that when I bought the meal plan, we started doing protein shakes, like just splitting them up, Mm -hmm. like an adult protein shake in two Mm -hmm. and splitting them with my two bigger girls. And they're loving that. They just feel Mm -hmm. like, I think it's part of like watching their dad have a protein shake for breakfast every morning that now they're getting that for afternoon snack. They think it's like the coolest thing ever. (laughs) 
it's kind of funny. And it feels like a milkshake to them. It's like, ooh, we get, we get like an afternoon milkshake. This is, yeah, they just yeah. think it's the greatest. So that's been awesome. helpful for us. What about the mom that might be listening to this mm-hmm. and maybe they can't afford to have, because like good food is expensive, like healthy food is more expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing about food security. There's a lot of rhetoric out there that that says, oh, organic food is better than conventional food and expensive food is better than cheap food. And if if I can't have my child eat the perfect food, then I'm a bad mom. And that's just not true. What's true is if you're feeding your child the best you can, you're doing a great job. And if you're buying only food that is on sale, only food that is on sale at Aldi, that is good enough. That is good. And we we need to... For people who have money to buy more expensive food, we really need to stop saying this food is better because that just really degrades everyone else. What's most important, if you're in a situation where you don't have enough food, you you don't have a lot of money for food, what's most important, the thing you need to focus on is how can I get enough calories to my child consistently? Okay. And if that means that you're eating a lot of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, you're eating a lot of boxed macaroni and cheese, you're eating a lot of, you're not eating very many fruits and vegetables, that's okay. What's most important to your child and what they need the most is consistent calories. Okay. So if you're eating rice and beans, if you're eating whatever you're eating that's cheap that you can do, do that throughout the day, provide that to your child that's okay. That will protect your child from feeling like they're not getting enough food. And that is what's going to help them eat best growing up. Okay. The second thing that you want to focus on is making sure that they have some protein foods and protein foods don't have to be meat. They can be beans. They can be dairy. They could be peanut butter. They could be canned meats. They can be, you know, whatever meat is on sale. Any of those things, uh, you know, did I mention peanut butter? I think I did, but that's a good one. Those sorts of things. All of those things help your child get enough protein. So it's, it's likely that your child, if your child is eating dairy and also eggs and, and things like that, then it's likely that your child is going to have enough protein. So that's why I say that second, because it is very important. But if they're eating dairy, usually they're fine. And you don't have to buy like fancy cheese sticks or anything like that. Just, you know, if you can find cheese when it's on sale, you could do that or milk. Milk is often um, affordable. And that is, I mean, one cup of milk has eight grams of protein, which is like half of what a little kid needs in a day. So dairy is really a great affordable source of protein and eggs as well. So it's really important to, if you're in a position where you don't have a lot of money to really protect your mental health and to say, you know what? I know that there's people saying that there's a best diet and there is a diet that is better But what is most important, according to me, I'm an expert, I'm an Mm -hmm. expert in nutrition. I can tell you what's most important is that you're feeding your child enough energy several times a day and that you're making sure they get enough protein. Fruits and vegetables can come later. You can actually feed your child quite well and they can be healthy without any fruits and vegetables. Now, if you can add in fruits and vegetables, even better. But if you can't, don't be down on yourself. Focus on getting them enough throughout the day. Um, a couple of ways to help you make sure you do have enough food. Wick is an option. Snap 
or otherwise known as food stamps. That mm-hmm. is an option for some families. Food pantries. Um, don't, I feel like a lot of times we feel like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to, I don't want to ask for help. I, my family received WIC when I was growing up. Um, my family has been to food pantries. And because my mom did that, I always felt like there was enough food in my house. Yeah, and because yeah. of that, I was able to eat what was right for my body. And now um, I've been lucky to have a job, right? So I can't afford fruits and vegetables for my kids. But the most important thing is that we that we remember that enough calories throughout the day is going to be the most important thing, okay. right? And if as parents, even if we have to kind of take a hit and even if we have to go to a food pantry or ask our church for help or take a handout now and then, like I remember at one point my dad was unemployed and some families brought over boxes of food for us. And I'm sure that was like, that was, that must've been so hard for my parents. Yeah. Um, yeah. As kids, we were super excited. We were like, yay, cool, new food, right? Right. Um, so we have to remember like our kids need that and it's okay for us to um, it's hard. It's hard. I don't want to minimize that at all. It's very hard for us to take things when we're in a tough time, but mm-hmm. especially now with so much unemployment, totally. so much struggle, it's important for us to do what we can right. for our kids to make sure that they feel like they have enough, even if it's not, it doesn't have to be fancy, right? But even if they can just eat as much rice as they want at every single meal or enough as much cereal as they want at every meal or whatever, whatever that food is that you have, see what you can do to help them have enough calories. And if you don't have enough, which is, that is not on you, right? Times are really hard right now. If you don't have enough, do what you can be. There's the national hunger hotline, I believe it's called, and they can help you find food resources that are near you. Also, school districts are, a lot of school districts are giving out food packets to families. Right. School meals. So participating in that. Which is so awesome. Yeah. Our school district's doing that. And I think it's so great. It's helped a lot. Yeah. It's been a big blessing. And um, I'm working on a budget menu to help families feed families of four on for four eighty to five hundred dollars a week. That's going to be coming out soon. Um, just awesome. to kind of help families really um, make that food dollar stretch as stretch further mm-hmm. and um, get some ideas for resources on how to do that. So that's coming, but I can't promote it quite yet because. It's, it's in the works. I have a, a bunch of dietitians from different cultural backgrounds who've come up with like amazing recipes and it's going to be really awesome. Oh, that's so cool. Um, it's going to be super affordable. Like everybody should be able to afford it. So I love that. Um, yeah. Cool. That's such helpful information. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to ask you too about if, are there any stories or any experiences you've had that have been really rewarding with helping parents through um, children, you know, teaching children to eat well and all of that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, there's like 7,000 of them, but uh, two stand out. One is a mom who said, you know what, my sister and I lost our mom and dad and we don't have anyone to help us know how to feed our kids or encourage us as parents. Mm-hmm. And we feel like we're part of your family and they both are part of the kids in color community and they are helping each other. And, you know, I get to be part of that. And that is like such an amazing 
that's just so amazing, right? To be able to have that position of encouraging people to connect with people that they're close to and also being able to encourage moms who maybe don't have that support. Um, And the, yeah, the other one is a family who went through a Better Bites program. Um, Her child had autism and extremely picky eater. And um, actually not autism, she had sensory processing disorder. Okay. And through the Better Bites program, she was at, which is, you know, everything I talk about kids eating color and then some advanced methods uh, for picky eating. But she said, um, you know, my son has expanded his diet so dramatically that the entire family dynamic has changed, right? He went from only eating a certain chicken nugget, like five foods, and now he's eating 20 to 30 foods. And it's just like completely changed the whole dynamic of the family. And I think those messages where they say, you know, now I can, I sit down at the table and I enjoy my kids instead of feeling angry and defeated and frustrated. And I'm actually enjoying mealtimes. That's what I do, everything everything I do, because yeah, nutrition is, is so important. And, and I don't want to minimize that. At the same time, like our connection to our family and our children is so much more important right. than whether or not they eat a carrot, right? Yeah. And if I can play a role in helping families feel connected to their kids and develop those healthy habits, then I'm really just the happiest person in the world. That's awesome. So heartwarming to hear some of those stories and things to do to help families. And I can see how that it really, I mean, as a little bit of a side note, it feels like, you know, some of my friends who have openly talked to me about struggles with body image or with eating or eating disorders or whatever, a lot of it is, um, you know, that power struggle that happened growing up. And I feel like that's something that my mom did so right. Like food, food and family and sitting down and eating was, it just was a positive experience overall. And I can't exactly pinpoint the, the methods or the things, except that I, it just always felt like a loving, warm, welcoming thing, you know, sitting down and eating as a family. And so I, that's been like something that I, I'm like, I'm sure I'm not doing all of this perfectly, but I want my kids to have that same feeling that I remember when I think about eating in my mom's home and eating her meals and eating as families. As a family, you know, right, because that is that is the most important thing is coming together, eating, providing that place of connection. Those family meals just provide so much security and warmth for kids as they grow up that they do better in school and they eat better and they participate in less risky behaviors. I mean, those family meals are just so important. Totally. Okay. I have one last question for you that I ask everyone. And that is if there's one message that you want the parent listening to this to remember from this podcast episode, what do you want that one message to be? I would say that family meals, whether that's, you know, uh, a kind of stereotypical family meal where you're sitting down in the evening for a meal or whether you're making breakfast or family meals or weekends, your family meals, family meals are just so powerful and they're going to be the most important thing that you could do for feeding your child. I love that so much. Jennifer, thank you for taking the time to talk to me and answer all of my questions and be so generous with all of your advice. Where can people find you if they want to follow along and be part of your community of kids eating color? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest. You can find me at any of those places. Also kidsatencolor.com. 
Google will help you find me. <laughs> awesome. Well, and we'll link to all of those. Yeah. Thank you, Jennifer. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.